Although they come from South America, Bruno and Camilla met in the United States, where Camilla was studying clarinet at the Manhattan School of Music and Bruno trumpet at the Jacobs School of Music at Indiana University. I asked them about their individual career paths and how their lives have led to the present moment. Let's go back to your, your individual careers and lives. But before we do that, how did you meet? Did you meet at IU or Manhattan or play a concert together? Uh, that was just, yeah, playing a concert together. That was just before our time at IU. And it was through this organization that it was a big part of our lives, of course, because we are married, but it also uh, changed, at least my perspective in music, the Orchestra of the Americas. It's a youth orchestra that travels every every year as a tour somewhere, a residence and tour. So Camila was part of the orchestra, I think back in 2008, mm-hmm. six and eight. And then I I was on I went on tour with them in 20, 2009. And that year they had an, an all-star gala at Carnegie Hall with some select members. And, and it was just a week. And that's how we met for the first time. Uh, Camila lived in New York. She was at MSM. I was... Uh, I was at IU. I was just going to IU. And then we, the next IU year, being Indiana University. IU being Indiana University. And MSM uh, being Manhattan. Exactly. Thanks, Tony. Um, and then we went, the next summer we went together on tour. And it was a long, long tour in Colombia, uh, in Peru. Uh, I think in Peru we also recorded uh, Philip Glass Cello Concerto. Ecuador, the tour ended in, in, in Brazil, in Rio. I mean, it was, it was just like the most gorgeous tour in the, the most amazing places. Uh, in amazing being, uh, meaning very diverse and being Latin American and being able to, to know places and the way the Orchestra of the Americas also, I think it's part of their mission to be accessible and deal with diversity. Uh, that's how we met. And I think that environment is that environment that we carry in our own, in our, our lives. No, but that's how we met. I was at Indiana University. We had two years uh, long distance relationship. So Camila would come to, to Bloomington. I would fly to New York. And then uh, when I was finishing school, I remember I was doing, uh, I was uh, an associate member of the uh, Chicago Civic Orchestra and I loved going to Chicago. And I was so amazed by the life in Chicago. I called Camila once and said, Cami, look, I think we have to move together. Otherwise, you know, it's not sustainable this. And I think we should move to Chicago. And Camila said, I'm so sorry, but I'm not leaving New York. <laughs> so I, that was easy. That was super easy. I, I moved to New York. No question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and why did the both of you go to the United States first originally to study? Just because, because of the teacher or because you just wanted to study in the United States because of the reputation? Um, so I think both of us, we wanted better opportunities. Um, being, I'm from Bolivia, of course, which is right next to Brazil. And I am from a very small city, um, uh, Cochabamba. So for example, this kind of a funny coincidence, but my first clarinet teacher was a trumpet player. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You know, in Bolivia, so I uh, I started when I was 10, and then I realized I loved it, and then I realized I could travel the world with it. So, but I didn't really have all the, you know, a, a proper, um, you know, situation to study music, because, of course, things have improved in Bolivia, but at that time, it was very, very difficult to, to 
think of being a musician is because there, there are no orchestras, no clarinet teachers, you know, so it was very, very limited. So when I was uh, 14 years old, I applied to the Interlochen Arts Academy. So I moved to the U.S. when I was 14 years old. And uh, I think for Bruno, it was very similar to you, no? It was a little later. I just I was finishing school in Sao Paulo, my undergrad, and... Um... I got I got a scholarship to go to uh, to the U.S. For, to do my master's. But Camila's story, I think it's uh, it's this how you know by having Camila's teacher, he was from New York originally, right? No, he's he, he was from St. Louis. He St. was Louis. a fantastic teacher, you know, uh, kind of trained in like the band, the American band tradition. So he knew a lot about all the wind instruments, but his specialty was trumpet. But you know, like the the way he taught me about like rhythm and just some some of the very basic things, you know, they were fantastic. <laughs> so you mm, that's know, great. but also vision, yeah. no? Yeah, also very demanding. Uh, I think that's you know in Bolivia and some some in Brazil too. Uh, generally in Latin America, you know, when you say that you want to be a musician, people laugh at you, you know, because you know that it's hard to imagine your livelihood as a musician. So. <laughs> You know, so uh, my teacher, you know, my first teacher, Edward Wolf, the trumpet player, he, he was very, we had band rehearsal, for example, Saturday from one to four. And, uh, you know, in Bolivia, Tony, lunch Saturday is like the most important thing ever. <laughs> and it takes right. three hours, you know. Yeah. So I remember being like 11 and be like, Mom, I have to go to band rehearsal. I cannot be late because then I'm going to be kicked out, you know. So I think just like the the seriousness of of music, you know, was something that I also learned very early on, and then I realized that I I wanted to to make a living out of it, you know. So I I moved very very early on, but this is very common for a lot of Latin, Latin American young musicians that they have to leave, um, you know, to to be trained. Uh, it's it's gotten a little bit better, you know. Uh, I think Brazil, for example, Sao Paulo is a really great place to study music you know but still a lot of the young students want to go to europe or the u.s right when you when you first got to um interlochen um was that really intimidating for you being in a new culture and everything being totally different and how how are you with the language at that time also so the first time i went to interlochen was actually for the camp and that was a big culture shock because I was 13 and, and you know anybody has that has gone to interlocking which is a lot of people in in the U.S. especially camp is a very American experience I was Bolivian <laughs> you know I didn't speak Spanish I mean I didn't speak English at the time and uh, there also you know like they play like the bugle calls at six in the morning and everybody <laughs> had to get out, you know, and I'm, I'm like the, the youngest of two, very spoiled always, you know, like I never got up before, you know, like nine. Uh, so it was like, I remember, and I was, you know, they have like the band and the orchestra and I was like concert master of the band and I didn't understand what the conductor was saying. And, uh, also, they had like the challenges. I don't know if they still they still do that, but you know they had the challenges every. Oh week. right, right, right. Yes, yes. Uh huh. Right. So yeah. like every week you could you know you had to if you wanted to stay on your position you know you had to people would challenge you so it was it was very intense it was very intense I remember like I was very homesick 
Uh, but, you know, for some reason, I must have liked it because I, I auditioned for the Academy. <laughs> so, so, um, so I went to camp. Then I auditioned for the Academy. At that time, I was a little bit too young to go to the Academy. So I went uh, back to Bolivia for a year. That year, I, I learned English very well. And then I went back and did four years at the Academy. That was amazing. I was freezing to death. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> From there, you went to Manhattan? Uh, yes. After that, um, ever since I was very young, I always imagined myself in New York. So um, I auditioned for uh, the Manhattan School, uh, also Juilliard and other schools. But uh, I ended up going to Manhattan School. I studied with Mark Nuccio there. I did my undergrad and my master's. And uh, it's really f fantastic, you know. Uh, I think just being able to be in the city to, you know, hear the New York Phil, the Met. You know, I love New York. You know, to come here to Brazil, I, I had to be dragged out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to know. I'm not ready. <laughs> yeah, there's so much great music in New York. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, and so many great musicians. Exactly. Yes. And Bruno, was your first experience going going to IU then in the oh, United no, States? No, no, I was. You know, I was finishing my undergrad in São Paulo in Brazil, and I had. You know, I was. I was open to life. I wanted to. I was finishing. I was working in São Paulo. And I remember that was in 2008, in January, I went to this festival in, in just outside of the city. And my teacher at the time, he said, well, you know, there's somebody here who wants to uh, a recording to take to their school, you know, as an audition. And I didn't know what the school was. I spoke no English. I didn't even know this person, who there was. You know, just my teacher's word. And it was kind of, it, recording was not as easy as it is today with phones. So, you know, it, it was like, get a, get a recording device, you know, in a, in a cassette tape or VHS. And then I have to bring somewhere to someone to put in a DVD. So I made a recording, gave it to my teacher. And then the next thing I knew uh, is that I got an email saying, congratulations, you are accepted uh, as a teaching assistant at the University of Southern Mississippi. And that's how, and so that was like, February 2008, you know, and I had to finish my application till May, and I spoke zero English. I was like, okay, wow, that, that sounds like an amazing <laughs> idea. I mean, I was so excited, and I tried to find like, English schools to teach me how to do that, and it was impossible. No one would even listen to me. It's like, well, you want to pass the TOEFL test, and you speak no English. No, that's not possible. <laughs> So, you know, I paid a few uh, uh, private lessons with somebody and it wasn't working. You know, the person was just like getting to conversations about, you know, uh, now you're drinking your coffee. This is a book. This is a book. So, no, that's not going to get me get, get me anywhere. Yeah. So I kind of froze my life for two months, you know, got you know, copy some books and CDs and listen to that. And then and then I passed the TOEFL test. I don't even believe that I did it. <laughs> I did. So, I, you know, I, I went to Mississippi. Uh, and of course, getting there was also a, a very different cultural experience. Of course, I thought I knew English, but getting into a history class, you know, I was so happy if I got one word of what the, pro the teacher was saying. <laughs> it's like, yes, I got a word. And then, of course, go home and then you study everything again and read everything again a million times. Um, so I went to University of Southern Mississippi, did my master's degree. And uh, at that time, I also got into the Orchestra of the Americas um, and a few other uh, summer uh, projects. And being in southern U.S., it was such an advantage because there's so many regional orchestras. 
and I was playing with all of them. And coming, you know, getting out of Brazil, my plan was to be a teacher. You know, my teacher was forcing me to be, a, you know, to get my doctoral, you know, degree, come back and teach. I never imagined that I could be a performer. And all of a sudden, I'm playing everywhere, you know, and people are happy with my playing. And I, so that was a booster of energy to never do my doctoral. So, <laughs> so I finished my two years in Mississippi, went to Indiana, you know, met Camila, and then went to New York. And when I got to New York, we were just, you know, getting our life organized. And a few weeks later, I got a job in Mexico. So I moved <laughs> to Mexico. And then, I mean, life goes on. But uh, that was how I, I, I went to the U.S. You know, I remember a story. You studied with uh, Professor Ed Cord yeah. at Indiana. And yeah. he had a party at his house. And I was at this party. And the students, you were there. And the students were talking about a time where you all had a car and you were driving to the National Trumpet Competition. <laughs> And I forget the exact story, but it was something like you had fallen asleep in the car and, <laughs> and they all of a sudden like hit the brakes really hard to wake you up because you thought there was going to be an accident or something like that. Do you remember that? Yeah, I hate, oh, I love them, but I hate them for the, that was, <laughs> I don't think my heartbeats went, you know, over whatever, you know, the speed went on that day. Yeah, it was like a big car. We were all inside of this van. I think it was Adrian Houghton, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay, now, okay. Yeah, yeah, he's in D.C. playing the band. Yeah. Billy was there, Sam, lovely people. But yeah, yeah of course. Great, and great players and, and wonderful people, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember we had Yeah, Billy, I mean, is, is principal trumpet of the National Symphony Orchestra. Yeah. Sam's yeah. A, 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 a great lawyer now, so I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you remember the story correctly. We were coming back after, you know, playing at NETC, you know, having all sorts of parties. Of course, I can't, you know, I couldn't drive in the U.S., it's also not interested in driving, so I was, I was never considered to be part of the rotation. You know, it was a long drive <laughs> from Bloomington. And then, you know, I get into the car and I sleep. And uh, I think Adrian just got outside of the road and, you know, got his feet on the brakes. People started screaming as loud as they could. <laughs> and I remember jumping. I almost jumped like I, I wanted to jump out of the car. I don't know. It was so, so, yeah, for Adrian, Billy, Sam, all of those guys who were there. Thank you for that. And thanks, Tony. Yeah, for you're it. welcome. <laughs> yeah. Did you yeah. did you know that story, Camilla? I did. Yeah, yeah that yeah, was kind of like story. an epic trip. <clears throat> yeah, there, there are things like that. <laughs> yeah, things like that you don't don't forget. Um, well, this is really, really great. It's been really great talking to you. I, I'm so moved by the work you're doing and and how how you're helping people. I mean, I think that's that's fabulous. Um, and we'll on your page on on the the page we'll have uh, uh, your website and let us know other links that we can have about your organization and about your careers and everything and we will have that up as well um are there any final words you'd like to say any final thoughts well you just said no thank you for this work that you're uh, bringing to people and i start i started therapy at the beginning of the pandemic myself and of course we often talk about uh musica para respirar music to breathe and of course we're passionate about the project and how we see how we're affecting people but talking to my my um, therapist, she often would say, "Bruno, I think you know this project's good for you because you also need to breathe, breathe in the you know you know the more in like complex you know meaning musically, breathe in life, breathe in the way you relate to people, breathe in the beliefs." Um, so I think I think we all need to breathe. You know, I think we all need music to breathe in a way. And I think that's very unique to each one of us. And I think the beauty of life is finding your own way of breathing. 
and and believing and believing in your music and being unique. Um, I think that makes not only you know ourselves uh, enjoy our, a richer life, but also others. And I think that's a positive thing in the world. I think just having people who are you know uh, not satisfied, we're never satisfied, but you know we are experiencing our own speed of breath and you know the quality of the air that we're taking in. Uh, meaning everything that surrounds you. I think that brought music, Musica para Respirar, brought that uh, to a lot of people around the world, but also to, to ourselves. And I think that's um, that's something that it's, it's life-changing for us. And we, we really hope to keep uh, breathing and making other people breathe. That's beautifully said. Camilla, any last thoughts? Oh, well, I don't think I can say anything better than what Bruno just said, but uh, I did wanted to thank you, Tony, for, for this conversation. Um, I think, you know, we what we do as musicians is so... Sometimes it feels so abstract that, um, as Bruno said, I think when you can find that space where you make, um, you know, your voice heard in the way that you want it to be heard, I think I encourage everybody to, to find that in their own ways and their, their own musica para respirar. Well, it's been an honor to talk to you about this, and I certainly hope that as many people as possible can hear this interview and other interviews that you do, and, and perhaps uh, magazine articles or whatever, read those magazine articles as well, because you're doing such great work, and I think you've influenced so many lives. So keep up the good work, um, keep realizing your goals, and thanks for being on. Thank you, Tony. Thanks, Tony. Thank you. Thank you. So good to so good to see you.